Open your Bibles to Acts 16. Acts 16, we'll be looking at uh, uh, verses 16 through 40 in a moment. I want to thank Pastor Tom for uh, uh, acknowledging doing our, our graduate prayer and, and challenge charge. It's not that I didn't care about this particular graduate. As a pastor, I thoroughly enjoy doing the graduate charges. It's just as a dad, I wasn't sure I was going to make it through it. And I didn't know if you guys needed to stand me, see me stand up here and blubber. So thank you, Pastor Tom, and congratulations to Drew on that. Acts 16, verses 16 to 40. As we consider this, I want to uh, use a phrase that we hear a lot, particularly a few weeks ago. It was Memorial Weekend, and we hear the phrase, freedom isn't free. Certainly have heard that a lot in my years. Freedom isn't free. It's the idea that there has to be a price paid. There is a cost to securing freedom. And I want us to look this morning, as we read this text, to consider the cost that is paid. You know, as I think about paying a cost for freedom, I'm reminded of one particular story I heard some years ago. Many years ago, I, I couldn't sleep one night, and I got up in the middle of the night, and I plopped down in front of the TV, and I'm flipping through the channels, and I came across some History Channel special on Medal, Medal of Honor winners, uh, those who had won the Medal of Honor. And one of the accounts there really stuck with me. It was the account of a ship's captain, captain of a relatively small ship who was escorting a troop transport ship, a ship that had uh, like 18,000 soldiers on it, during war, headed over to the European theater during World War II. And they came under the attack of German U-boats. And during the attack, one of the German U-boats got off a couple of torpedoes that were headed at the hull of that troop transport ship. And the captain of this smaller vessel reacted quickly, gave the order to steer his ship into the path of those torpedoes. Not only did he willingly give up his life, but the helmsman obeyed the order and steered the ship and willingly gave up his life. And the engine control officer obeyed the order and gave it the throttle necessary to get there in time and willingly gave up his life. And that ship was lost so that the troop ship of 18,000 men could be saved. Freedom isn't free. It comes at a cost. Someone has to be willing to pay the price. We're going to look this morning at the price that Paul and Silas were willing to pay so that others could receive the freedom of the gospel, so that others could be set free by Jesus Christ. Hear now the word of Almighty God, Acts 16, verses 16 to 40. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had been brought, sorry, and when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. 
The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them securely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go and go in peace. Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, Men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of prison and visited Lydia, And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. Let's ask his guidance and understanding it. Lord, reveal to us your word this morning. Let us see the price that was paid by Paul and Silas so that others would be set free by the gospel. And let us be willing to pay such a price. Let us be willing to give up everything so that others might hear and know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us not mistake that for repaying you in any way. Let us not think that we are buying your favor in any way. But out of love for you and love for others, let us, like them, willingly pay the price so that the freedom of the gospel message might go forth to others. We ask your guidance and understanding in these things. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Freedom isn't free. It comes at a price. It comes with costs. And as we consider this text, I want us to consider three aspects of those costs. We're going to look at the cost of applying the gospel to the world. The cost of applying the gospel to the world. We're going to look at the cost of applying the gospel to the church. And we're going to look at the cost of applying the gospel to you and to me. The cost of applying the gospel to this world, of applying the gospel to the church, and of applying the gospel to you and to me. Because freedom isn't free. 
Though the gospel sets us free, it does not set us free that we might indulge in our freedom, but rather it sets us free so that we might give willingly and freely on behalf of others. The first thing we notice, and the, 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 I'm not going to deal with some of the early things uh, uh, of the, uh, the, 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 the slave girl and her being set free. We, we took up some of that in last week's sermon, but rather I'm going to jump into what's going on here. And in a quick overview, just a quick summary of what we've read, um, we see that in the aftermath of setting the slave girl free from her demon, uh, Paul and Silas are uh, dragged, um, dragged by the slave girl's owners dragged into the marketplace, and falsely accused. And being falsely accused, and I say falsely accused, they're, 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 they're being accused of, of doing things that were unlawful and illegal. Well, that's a little hard to believe, since Christianity was essentially an unknown religion at that time. It was a long way from being illegal. There were no laws with regard to Christianity in any way, shape, or form. And so immediately we see that there are lies against Paul and Silas in the marketplace. And there is no willingness or desire to hear their side of things. Rather, there is this public outcry. Everybody gets on board with the lie. Charles Spurgeon had a real gift for phrases and uh, catching thoughts simply, and he had one that went like this. A lie goes round the world before the truth can get its boots on. A lie goes round the world before the truth can get its boots on, and we see that here. Everyone quickly jumps on board with the lie, and they begin to assault Paul and Silas. And then the magistrates get involved in the action, and they beat. They order that Paul and Silas are beaten and then thrown into jail. And then we see in the midst of that jail the, the response of joy. It's an interesting contrast It's not that you can't be sad when you are persecuted. It's not that you can't be uh, depressed and, 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 and disappointed. For we see the Psalms are full of accounts of people who are saddened by their persecution in this world, who who despair because of it. And yet those psalms almost inevitably come around to a place of praise. The psalm with which we opened this morning begins with David uh, in deep distress because of the persecution he is suffering, and it closes with praise. And we see that with Paul and Silas here. They come to the Lord in praise. They sing his praises. They are praying to him in the dungeon. And they are doing so loudly and publicly. And the other prisoners are listening. Oh, there might have been some prisoners who were yelling, why don't you shut up so we can sleep? But Luke says the main gist is the response of the others are listening. For they cannot fathom this kind of joy and hope in the midst of suffering. And so we see that the suffering of Paul and Silas becomes a vehicle by which they could minister to others. Our New Testament reading was from the book of Philippians, a letter written later in Paul's life. Actually, while he's imprisoned in Rome quite a bit later, he writes back to this church here in Philippi. And he talks about how his second, third, I've lost track, it's like a third or fourth imprisonment by the time he gets to Rome, how it is being used by God to further the gospel. And certainly these Philippians could relate to that. By the time that letter gets back, you've got this jailer's household has become integrated in the church, and they're reflecting, oh yes, I remember when that happened here. 
I remember how Paul went to jail here in our hometown, how I am a believer today in the Lord Jesus Christ because he was in my prison. And he was willing to suffer for the gospel. So there's a quick summary and overview of what we see there. And let's think now about how the different aspects of the persecution along the way, the costs they paid because of their willingness to bring the gospel. First of all, the cost of applying the gospel to the world. We see there in verse 21 the specifics about how they go into the public square and lie. Um, what are the, his, their accusers saying in verse 21? They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. It's a lie. It's not true. And we know it's not true, for even in the, in the clear light of the next day, the magistrates can't sustain that charge. In the clear light of the next day, the magistrates aren't able to go, yeah, that's a good point. We really do need to deal with No! Set them free. We, arre- we, we, we falsely arrested them. There was no grounds for the charge against them. Let's get them out of here before we have a scandal. They were charged falsely. It's amazing in this world, when you try to stand for the truth, the charges that will come against you, the lies that will come against you, the cost of truth in your life will be enormous. I'm going to start with an example that doesn't even necessarily come from the church. I was astounded this week, maybe you saw this, uh, the, the, the British author J.K. Rowling. If you don't know that name, you've probably heard her work in the form of the Harry Potter books and movies. J.K. Rowling is getting blasted right now, just ripped. You want to know why? Because she has dared to say that there is such a thing as biological sex. That there are men and women, and they're different. And for that, she's getting blasted. Think about that. The simple scientific, set aside the scriptures for a moment, the simple scientific fact of biological sex, X chromosomes and Y chromosomes. And she's getting ripped because she dared to speak that truth. I think a lot of us, though, get used to getting ripped from the left, blasted by the left. I think some of us actually kind of gear up for that, almost get excited about it. It's a chance to take a stand. We kind of want the left to come after us so we can have the argument and the debate And yet as I was preparing this, by the way, one of the, it's one of the things I both hate the most and love the most about being a minister of the Word of God, that it is a constant source of conviction in my own life. And yes, conviction is good, and yes, it's part of the process of becoming more like our Savior, and yet it does hurt. It gets, it's tiresome to, to constantly be uh, convicted of one's own sin. And as I was preparing this sermon, I was convicted in this regard. While I saddle up, I gear up for attacks from the left. I look for them. I am slow to speak when the attack comes from the right or when I'm afraid of it. How many of us pull back and don't say what needs to be said for fear of an attack from the right. We have a president who in his own words and in his own voice is on a recording 
making light of the fact that he sexually molested women. And I never once spoke out against it. I never called it out for the sin that it is because I was afraid somebody would call me a liberal. I was afraid somebody would tell a lie about me. That in the public square I would be accused of things that weren't true. It's sin. And I never spoke out against it. Not one time. Because I was afraid of what would be said about me. How many of us today are wrestling with those issues? Sinful things are happening in our country, and we are afraid to speak to them. If we speak to the one side, we're going to get blasted as as liberal. If we speak to the other side, we're going to get ripped as right-wing extremists. And because of our fear of our reputation, we will not apply the gospel message. We are to be salt of the earth, a preservative that saves the culture. But we won't speak out against sin on either side because of what might be said about us, because of the lies that might be said in the public marketplace about us. Paul and Silas were willing to bring the gospel to bear on this slave girl's life regardless of the consequences, regardless of what would be said about them in the public life. For the sake of the gospel and for this young girl's life, they were willing to speak out against sin. They didn't go looking for it. I'm not saying you start organizations and go looking for opportunities. I'm saying in the normal course of events, in the normal course of your life, when you are confronted with sin in the culture, do you speak out against it on both sides of the issue? There's a cost to be paid not only for your reputation with regard to the truth that is said about you or the lies that are said about you, but there is also a cost with regard to your physical well-being. We see that in verses 22 through 24. They are beaten, they are stripped, they are thrown into prison. And it comes with a great cost. Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary issued a report in December of last year, so it's just, a, what, about six months old now, this report, and in which they estimate that in uh, uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, in that country alone, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 5.4 million lives have been lost uh, over a period of 10 years um, because of the, the ongoing civil war there. And the, their estimate is that the vast majority of those lives are Christian lives, that Christians are dying at an extraordinarily high rate in that conflict. And you want to know why? Simply because they will not support the brutality of the rebels. They're not actively fighting physically against the rebels. They simply won't help or support the brutality of the rebels. And as a result, the rebels steal their homes and steal their property and drive them out. And they die of starvation, they die of exposure, and they die out in the wilderness because they have taken a stand that says, that's wrong. I won't support it. I won't be a part of it. I answer not to you who stand on my doorway with a gun. I answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And because they have taken that simple stand against something wrong, 5.4 million of them have lost their lives. Peter, in his first epistle, says it this way, For This you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
we need to bring the gospel to bear on the world we live in. We need to bring the gospel to bear on the culture. And we need to be willing to do so no matter the cost. No matter the price. Whether it be lies told, us about, told about us in the public square or physical bodily harm that befalls us, we must bring the gospel to bear on the culture. There's a cost of applying the gospel not just to the culture, but to the church. There's a cost of applying the gospel in the church. Now, it's described differently in this passage. It's not quite imposed from the outside, but rather a willingness to pay the cost from the inside. Do you notice how this passage opens and closes? We didn't read the beginning of chapter 16, but the time in Philippi is an interesting, uh, there are some interesting bookends. So we have here at the end of the time recorded in Philippi how Paul and Silas do not share their Roman citizenship early. Have you ever stopped to think about that before? While they're being dragged into the marketplace, all they needed to do was yell out, Civis Romanus, I'm a Roman citizen. Once in the marketplace, when the magistrates came, they just needed to yell out, Civis Romanus, I'm a Roman citizen. And they don't do it. Why not? Well, Luke doesn't tell us exactly why not, but many have speculated that it comes down to this. The vast majority of those whom they were reaching in their ministry, the young church that was being built in Philippi, the majority of them were probably not Roman citizens. The majority of those at church would not have had access to that privilege. And Paul and Silas decide that it is better to suffer than to risk creating a situation where the new converts in their church decide that the gospel is only for the, for the entitled. It's only for those who can defend themselves against persecution. And Paul and Silas are saying, no, it's worth dying over. It's worth being persecuted for. I would rather go to jail so that you, my new convert, would see the importance of the gospel in my life. I will gladly give up the privilege of my Roman citizenship so that you will know the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They do not claim their citizenship until after the fact. And why then? And again, it's pure speculation because Luke doesn't tell us, but it seems to be what's going on here is simple. Now that the persecution is over, they're going to use their status as citizens to, to make the gospel known. It's not a right that they are using for their own benefit, but a tool they're using for the sake of the gospel. So now the magistrates have to come to the jail and hear from Paul and Silas themselves. The magistrates now have to come and... and, and you don't think that Paul, have we, those of you who have maybe read Acts before, read ahead, does Paul ever miss an opportunity to, to share the gospel? I'm sure he talked to those magistrates and shared the gospel with them. It now becomes a tool so that the gospel can go to the highest levels of the Philippian society. 
he paid the price of giving up his right so that the gospel might go forward. Now go back to the beginning. I said Acts 16 was a sandwich. Go back to the beginning. Do we remember how Acts 16 opened up? Actually, more to the point, do we remember how Acts 15 closed? Remember that Acts 15 was the Jerusalem Council, the controversy over circumcision in the church. Do believers have to be circumcised? Do Gentiles have to be circumcised in order to be full-fledged members of the church? And the council said, no, they do not. And Acts 16 opens up with Paul and Silas and, and Timothy and Luke taking this message to the churches and talks about how the churches are blessed by this good news. Uh, actually, Timothy's not with him just yet. Um, and then something interesting happens. Timothy joins the group. Timothy's not circumcised. Do you remember what happens at the beginning of Acts 16? Paul takes Timothy and circumcises him. What? Paul's the guy who in Jerusalem was arguing that circumcision should not be required. And Paul's the guy who's been delivering that message to the churches. Circumcision's not required. And then the moment a young man joins the ministry team who isn't circumcised, Paul doesn't rejoice and say, look at the right we've got to not circumcise him. No, Paul circumcises him. And why? Well, we're told why. For the sake of the Jews that were in that place. Paul says, the, 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 the freedom I have in the gospel is not a freedom that I'm going to use for my own pleasure or my own ease or for my personal benefit, but rather it is a freedom I'm going to use to serve Jesus and his church and his gospel message. And I will give up every freedom and every right and every privilege if it can be to the benefit of the church and of the body of Christ and of the building up of the kingdom of God. So the passage opens with Paul setting aside the freedom they had from circumcision and willingly circumcising Timothy. I don't know that Paul did sacrifice quite so much there. Maybe Timothy did a bit more. And he says, we're going to set that aside so that it is not a stumbling block to the gospel. And it closes with Paul setting aside his Roman citizenship so that it is not a stumbling block to the gospel. I don't want anybody thinking I can only become a Christian if I can protect myself against persecution and if I'm a Roman citizen. When the gospel is applied to the world, there will be costs. Lies will be told about you. Things, comforts of this world will be taken away. There will be cost. But when you bring the gospel into the church, there are also costs. Not costs imposed on you in the same way those are, but rather costs you willingly incur because you love Jesus and his gospel. Which really brings us to the heart of the whole passage. The third aspect of the cost of the gospel there is a cost to applying the gospel in the world. There's a cost to applying the gospel in the church. But there is a cost to applying the gospel to you and to me. And that's at the heart of the message here. When the earthquake happens and the shackles fall off and the guard is awakened and he just assumes that the gates are open, he assumes they've all fled. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? And he knew that in that culture... 
In that society, if he let prisoners go, if he was responsible for their escape, he was going to be executed. So he prepares to execute himself. And Paul yells out, don't know exactly how Paul knew that was happening, not sure Paul could see out, out of the, where he was and had a line of sight or was just spirit, you know, the spirit told him, but one way or another, Paul knows this is about to happen and Paul puts a stop to it and says, we're all here. For your sake, we gave up the right to walk out. We gave up the freedom to leave this prison. Our chains have fallen off and the doors are off their hinges and we have the ability to go out. And by the way, for everybody else here might be legitimately guilty, but Silas and I are not. We had every right to walk out that door because it was our God who opened that door. But for your sake, we are still here. Recognizing it, And remembering the charge against them, remembering the call of the slave girl, why they're in prison in the first place, the the, the jailer asks the question. The slave girl has said that you know the way of salvation. I want to be saved. What do I do? What do I do? And they don't tell him, go find chances to do good works. They don't tell him, go look for ways to to, to do good in this culture. Go look for slave girls that you can set free. No, they point him to the one who paid the cost on on his behalf. They say to the jailer, you've just got to believe in Jesus the Lord. You've just got to recognize that this man, and you see that they go on and explain, the next verse says that they go on and expound on these things and tell him more. Let us tell you. So they've said to him, you know, we know that Luke summarizes a lot of these stories. So they say, you know, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he probably says, well, what does that mean? Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Who is that? And then it says they expound the word of God to him in his household. Well, let us tell you about Jesus of Nazareth. Let us tell you about this Galilean carpenter who it turns out was the promised Jewish Messiah who was actually both God and man together in one who did on behalf of us all that God had ever required who kept every law perfectly and then died paid the highest criminal price he could pay, death. And he did that so that you, Mr. Jailer, could be saved. So that you could be set free from the bonds of sin. And that's why we've stayed in here, so you could hear that message. The cost, the ultimate cost of salvation, the ultimate cost of the gospel is not borne by you and me. It doesn't matter what persecution we undergo. We don't come anywhere close to paying the cost of the gospel. It doesn't matter what rights we forego. We don't even begin to put a drop in the bucket of the cost of paying the gospel. If we do those things, if we undergo persecution willingly, if we undergo, if we forego our rights joyously, we had better be doing so so that we can point people to Jesus Christ. If we do anything else, we've wasted our rights and we've wasted our privileges. So that we can point people and say, 
here's why I'm doing this. Because there is this one who did this for me. Who on my behalf gave up all of his freedom. Who on my behalf gave up all of his rights and power and glory and privilege and position. And died for me. And not just any old death, but a death wherein he had to face the ultimate wrath of Almighty God. A death where he had to come toe-to-toe with all of God's anger against sin, all of God's justice against sin, all of the penalty to be paid for sin, and he stood there and took it in my place. That's why I will give up my right as a Roman citizen. That's why I will give up my right as one who is free in the gospel so that you can know that message. When we bring the gospel to account, when we bring the gospel to apply to the world, when we hold the world to account to the gospel, there's a cost that's going to be paid. When we want the gospel to be effective in the church, there is going to be cost that we should willingly bear and gladly incur. But all of those are merely a reminder of the cost of the gospel in the first place. And they must be tools by which we point ourselves and others to Jesus. That's what Paul and Silas did. That's what we will see happen over and over again as the book of Acts marches forward. That is the call upon our lives. Let us give up anything and everything for the sake of the gospel so that some might hear it and some might believe it. Let's pray. Lord, your work through Jesus Christ is so astounding, it's so amazing, it's, so, it's such a blessing to us. Let us be renewed, reminded of it this morning, and in, in being reminded of us, let us willingly, gladly bear the cost of sharing the gospel message with those around us. Let us willingly, gladly bear the, uh, the price of living the gospel in the church. And let us always use every opportunity, every opportunity to sacrifice so that we might point brothers and sisters, friends and loved ones, even our enemies, to the work of Jesus. It's in his name we seek this powerful witness. It's in his name we pray. Amen.